technologies that are allowing us to not just read our future, but also edit it using, for example, CRISPR-Cas gene editing techniques or IVF technologies. What do we want to edit out of our society? Do we want to edit things out or do we want to actually celebrate neurodiversity and the diversity and the breadth of, that humanity can offer? Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham, and it's a pleasure. It's humbling. It's a delight to have you along to this episode in which we're exploring once again some more insights and ideas from the world of performance. That is whether you're getting to grips with it for the first time, whether you've been there and done it, or if you're trying to make sense of it, then we think you'll find something interesting here to develop your philosophies, your work and your influences. And if you're enjoying these discussions and fancy supporting us, then it'd be amazing if you could leave an honest review on iTunes. It helps us reach more people and shares the messages further. Equally, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, Radio Public, then please do press subscribe. So this week's guest is Dr. Hannah Critchlow, cellular and molecular neuroscientist at the University of Cambridge. Hannah has recently released her new book, The Science of Fate, exploring whether our genetic code determines our path, or instead, whether our genetic code acts as a start point from which we get to choose who we become. Now, there's a wonderful phrase in elite sports performance, one that helped me come to terms with my own sporting limitations, i.e. when I grew up dreaming of becoming an Olympic 100 metre champion, researching the latest training techniques, the mental skills, the optimum diet. Well, one mantra reconciled my status, and that was to be 100 metre Olympic champion that you need to choose your parents really carefully. And I forgot to do that. So, We know that our genetic code will heavily influence who we are. That's our genotype. But we know that we're a product of our genetic code, our physical blueprint, plus all of the interactions, the moments, the influences from the world around us. So our genotype and our environment shows up as our phenotype, what and how we become. But the world of genetics has, over the last few decades, become far more sophisticated with the development of understanding around the world of epigenetics, the study of changes in organisms caused by the modification of gene expression, plus the advent of gene editing techniques. So we have a code that acts as a template, but that certain genes can be switched on or off with certain experiences, interventions or stresses, or even designed. So we have a code that acts as a template, but that certain genes can be switched on or off with certain experiences, interventions or stresses. Now, neuroscience is a complex beast, not helped by the fact that every Joe and Joanna are now claiming to be neuroscientists, labelling everything the neuroscience of whatever. For example, I saw an article titled The Neuroscience of Coaching, which actually turned out to be, not surprisingly, an article just about coaching. So I was excited to speak to Hannah to ask her some questions about the insights that she's gained about whether we're fixed predetermined entities or whether we're much more of an open book that we can take ownership for our own destiny. I grabbed 15 minutes with Hannah between sessions at the Cheltenham Science Festival and we had an interesting conversation that covered a lot, explored some interesting and quite challenging concepts, but in many ways hinted to a pivotal moment in time where the study of genetics is at a delicate crossroads about how our newfound understanding of this area is applied applied for the future of the human race. 
Hannah Critchlow, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me on. Fantastic. So we're at Cheltenham Science Festival now. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been sharing with the audiences here. Um, so I was very lucky to be invited to discuss my new book, which was um, launched on 2nd of May, so quite recently. And I was in conversation with Claudia Hammond, who uh, presents All in the Mind with BBC Radio 4. And we had a wonderful discussion with the audience, because there's lots of questions from the audience mm-hmm. on the topic, of free will. So do we have free will? What kind of agency do we have in our lives? Do we have power over the decisions that we make from, you know, whether it's the banal everyday decision, like what we eat, what time we even wake up in the morning, um, to how we choose our friendship groups, who we might fall in love with, who we might have a relationship with, how our perception of the world is formed and how our beliefs are built. Um, and what, what does neuroscience really tell us about how we all as individuals are formed? Now, there's been this amazing revolution in technology that's allowing us to peer into the conscious, living, moving mammal as it navigates its space. And we can start to see the brain cells forming connections as as we learn and remember. And we can watch as a mammal makes decisions and makes choices in its life. And we can really peer in with very high resolution and see the very architecture of the brain change. And this new ability for voyeurism is really leading us to ask some very fundamental questions about what it means to be individuals, what it means to be human, and what it means to think that we have free will. Um, And at the same time, there's been this amazing genomics revolution as well. So we can now sequence our DNA for less than $1,000, and it takes less than 30 minutes to get the results through. Um, And there's all this data handling power that allows us to now see patterns that we may not as humans be able to see otherwise and start to analyze the minutiae of things. Um, And in combination, there's these new imaging techniques which allow us to look at the connectome of a baby's brain as it's being built in the womb. And all together, all of this information is coming together and converging at the moment to lead us to ask questions about what makes us us. Maybe a huge amount of our lives are predetermined from the very basic behaviours to the more complex, higher cognitive functions. And, and what does that mean? What do, as a society, how do we ethically grapple with that information? And as we are also developing, alongside this in tandem, technologies that are allowing us to not just read our future, but also edit it using, for example, CRISPR-Cas gene editing techniques or IVF technologies... What do we want to edit out of our society? Do we want to edit things out? Or do we want to actually celebrate neurodiversity and the diversity and the breadth of, that humanity can offer? So, um, yeah, so we, we, a really fascinating discussion at the Cheltenham Science Festival of all of that. <laughs> wow. that's uh, I can imagine that was a jam-packed hour of f- focus there. And, and so many different areas there that you could explore. I mean, the, the behaviours and the, the difference between the mind and the brain that you're starting to get into understanding how the brain works from a biological point of view that has such a big influence on psychology. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a huge amount of crossover between biology and psychology um, and the brain and the mind. You know, maybe actually they're all the same thing. Maybe it's just different ways of looking at them, but they're actually the same thing. Mm. 
And so, um, for example, um, in the world of sports science, we, we're looking at muscle fibre type, for example, that, that one type of muscle fibre will predominate in an endurance athlete or for, uh, for a sprinter, they might be more fast-twitch fibre. Um, potentially now that we can be starting to look for characteristics of, of grit and determination or these sorts of, of genetic influences as much as the, the upbringing. Yeah, I mean, so that's a really interesting point. The um, neuroscience of resilience and perseverance is quite a new field. And there have been some findings linking, for example, resilience with a genetic variation in a gene called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And this beautiful chemical basically helps nerve cells to flourish in the brain. So that when you... Well, first of all, it helps new nerve cells to be born in the brain, and then it helps to cultivate them so that they flourish and integrate with other circuits that are already existing within the brain. Um, So it seems as though if you have a resilient outlook, perhaps you have a variation of BDNF, this gene, this wonderful flourishing chemical that is expressed at very high levels. Now, it's really early days in terms of the... Uh, genetic basis of resilience or perseverance and it's you know these these findings and the studies have been conducted in very small samples and the findings are very new they haven't really been replicated but it looks as though there might be some genetic basis for that and the editing you're talking about there about being able to i mean you can you can look at sort of genetic variations for unborn babies for example but but here we're talking about maybe selecting as you say, socially acceptable characteristics or uh, endeavour-based pursuit uh, characteristics. Tell me a little bit about the, the techniques there and where they're at at the moment and what can be done about them. Well, first of all, the, um, the hereditary basis of things like intelligence, for example, or whether you might have a predisposition to mental ill health or whether you're resilient to physical illness, for example. Um, The hereditary basis for that is multifactorial and it might be something in the region of anything between 50 and 90%, right, the hereditary basis. Um, So there's lots of genes that are involved. You can't just say that there's one gene involved. For the majority of cases, you can't just say there's one gene involved. So there's not a cut and, you know, a black and white Uh, verdict if you like Um, so we're talking about percentages we're talking about susceptibilities we're talking about risk and conference we're not talking about x equals this kind of outcome for the majority of things that you're talking about Um, however saying that a number of companies have already started offering genetic screening um, to IVF couples for pre-implantation embryos um, to screen specifically for embryos that might have high intelligence, high IQ, um, or not have autism, for example. Now, first of all, I don't think the science is really there to back up the claims of such companies. And second of all, I, do, you know, I think we really need to have a, question, a, a discussion amongst society of, as do we want to actually... You know, wipe out things like Down syndrome or autism, or actually maybe they confer an advantage within our community, within our social setting, and perhaps they should be accepted a little bit more and rejoiced over even. Yeah, okay, so the, the parallel there in sport, for example, is potential threat of gene doping, where you're trying to you're trying to amplify certain gene transcription and so on, which is this, a similar effect as as doping with pharmaceutical agents to upregulate activation of, of gene work. Some of the current thinking the fact that you can switch on those genes but you can't necessarily 
regulate, which is a lot of the, mm. uh, I suppose, the sweet spot for finding your optimal performance. Because you can't just upregulate testosterone completely and then it's just off the scale and uncontrollable. You have to be able to tune that in that mm. sense. Um, that's the sort of parallel I'm starting to think about, that finding that ethical level that once that tuning starts to happen for, for somebody, you're getting into genetic design, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, there was studies published recently on epigenetic modification and an even a new route by which you can change the dial of gene expression um, that was discovered yesterday. So it's published in the journal Cell. And this, was, this finding was just in the C. elegans, the little worm. Um, but it was looking at how different RNA molecules can be passed through the sperm of the father, through the children. Um, and these RNA molecules can actually block uh, or turn down the dial of expression of particular genes. So we're finding out more and more about these different ways that we can change the expression of particular genes so it's not just a black and white on or off kind of situation. Right, okay, so I'm now just thinking of the, the sort of cardiovascular disease-based studies that have, have come from some of the Scandinavian groups, that those early epigenetic discoveries through starvation periods, for example, that, um, that, that were affecting uh, health, some of the deep biology of heart health and so on, and I believe in um, and stunted growth, for example, in certain, certain countries too. So handing down those, those particular genes and characteristics based on a, on a stressor, is there something the other way around in terms of being able to, you know, if you've had a flourishing, happy life or a wonderful growth mindset, is that something that's going to transfer at all? Do you know, it's interesting that you ask that. So the majority of studies uh, look at the negative condition right. rather than the positive condition, which is probably not very helpful in terms of answering your question. But unfortunately... Sometimes it's easier for scientists to look at a clinical condition which is diagnosable and then try to understand the molecular machinery that's giving rise to that rather than to look at the opposite, which is how do you cultivate more of a flourishing brain. In terms of what there have been some studies looking at, as I said earlier, you know, this whole field of resilience um, and perseverance and well-being has started to come into the neuroscience agenda rather than just looking at psychiatry kind of medical unmet needs actually to look at the other end of the spectrum and to look at human well-being um, and what we're finding is that exercise is particularly good for the brain because it helps these new nerve cells to be born anything that increases this brain derived neurotrophic factor like exercise for example and there's certain foods that seem to help it help those new nerve cells to be um, kind of nourished and looked after within the brain also life lifelong education so exercise and lifelong education social interaction and exploring new places throughout your life is all going to be really beneficial for your well-being for your brain uh, that is taking control then that is that is an element of free will and choice isn't it of, of these are the things that i can invest in on a daily regular basis mm -hmm. in order to to ha have a healthier life but potentially hand it down <laughs> to your children depending if you're breathing well, or not <laughs> yeah yeah well well those but there's been no studies to see whether people doing that mm. then change as far as i'm aware and i'm going to go back and look this up because that's a really interesting question but as far as i'm aware there's no studies that have shown that if you actually enact those positive things that will be then passed on to down to your offspring ah, right, okay. but hopefully they would right let's think optimistically about this let's yeah. get our, <laughs> our brains thinking rather in a resilient persistent, persistent way, way. <laughs> whilst eating some nutritious blueberries yeah. um, 
this idea of free will and determinism, this concept of right, that's who you are, that's what, those are the cards that you've been given, uh, there's so much more that you can do with. You've given us a nice example of exercise and, um, and social connection. Um, what other insights can you offer us about how we can navigate this area when we're having a bit of an existential crisis as to, I suppose, these, these moments of doubt in our minds of who we are and what we've got and whether it's body image or whether it's I'm worried or I've got my inner record, the sorts of healthy things that we can invest in or do to, to take us forward. So uh, there has actually been um, a whole another area of scientific study, which is the study of compassion and how we can gain sense of ourselves and our place in the world through acts of compassion and gratitude. Um, and so there's some, some like key takeaways for how we can do that uh, so if you just witness acts of kindness through your day so start, start trying to look out for other people being kind to each other and it will actually give you this feeling of moral awe which is this powerful elevating uh, emotion that cascades through your brain and can percolate through and makes you much more likely to enact being kind and generous to other people as well and to see the world in a slightly more positive way yeah. There's, there's another one which is you know practicing gratitude so writing down a gratitude journal you might have already heard of this okay. but um, writing down three things that you're grateful for that, that, that made you feel positive through that day and then just try and enact them the next day you know mm. there's some things that make you feel happy so okay do more of it you know yeah. whether it's going for a run or whether it's going for a walk by the river and you know seeing the ducks you know there's some things that make you happy so do more of it yeah. <laughs> As much as you can. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, if you think about the biological consequences of that, for example, when sometimes we've got athletes that are head down, focused, and they and they can't see the wood for the trees, and all they can think about is the detail of the sessions that they're doing. You're not saying just just get your head up, go go and go and chill out a little bit, and that that's probably good coaching, but it's also it's a hormonal thing. It's reducing stress hormones mm-hmm. and connecting with nature, or visiting friends which creates an oxytocin release for example there's a biological improvement in their recovery status Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Mm. they can have profound these types of things can have very profound effects on the brain and the body um and for good reason you know we've evolved to be social for the majority of us anyway we've evolved to be very social beings and and to and to have this deeply embedded and evolutionary conserved reward circuit that's within our brain so we need to start listening to it in positive ways a great note to end on hannah thank you so much if this insight has caught your imagination then i'd recommend you get yourself a copy of hannah's fascinating new book the science of fate hannah is also an expert host on the bbc's family brain game series and you can follow her on twitter at Han Critchlow and you can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at Ingham underscore Steve and you can follow us on Facebook YouTube Instagram and subscribe through the website supportingchampions.co.uk and if you're feeling like supporting and championing us then please do leave a review on iTunes and whichever platform you listen to your podcast on then do press subscribe next time we've got Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill reflecting on her career 10 years after she first became world champion Thank you.